It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, I preview day nine of the 2024 Australian Open, our second day of round four play in both the men's and women's singles draws. This is a day with so many fascinating storylines for tennis fans to follow. Storylines I recap each and every day over on the Mini Break podcast feed. In case you were busy this week, you can catch up on all of week one's action from Melbourne by checking out that podcast feed. Of course, on today's show, I want to preview day nine. Look at the stats. Look at the matchups. Talk about what a win looks like for all of our players on the schedule. And again, certainly to get back to a headline I discussed on the Mini Break podcast after day number seven, who's the favorite right now in the top half of the women's singles draw? Is it a 12th seeded junction when highest seeded player remaining, highest ranked player remaining in the draw? But by experience, there's a little bit of a delta between her and 19th seeded Alina Svitolina, who, by the way, has dropped just one match and dropped uh, throughout the course of this 2024 season and dropped no sets on her way to the fourth round of this Australian Open. Of course, on the other side, you've got a Victoria Azarenka who has beaten one of my top, dare I say, eight players thus far in 2024. I know, only a month to work off of, but Victoria Azarenka has beaten Yelena Ostapenko twice in the month of January. Ostapenko won a title the second week of the season. Her only losses are to Victoria Azarenka. And again, I know we're one month in. We played less than 15 matches across the board. Still, the level I've seen from Vika It's just real. And again, she is the most experienced player. This is, I believe, her 30th round of 16 appearance at a major event. So, yeah, like again, across the board, you've got those three as your headliners, but then so many talented youngsters as well. 19-year-old Linda Neskova catching the attention of all of us tennis fans after she knocked out world number one Iga Svantec in round three, the power tennis that 23-year-old Diana Yastrzemska can play. It is captivating at times. And then, again, the run of an Anna Kalinskaya, excuse me, of late. The run of Ocean Doden, who had to build her ranking back, go to the ITF level, play 60Ks, 100Ks, whatever it took. Now she's in her first, second week of a major Plenty of storylines to keep you intrigued, even if by percentage, some of these matchups a little bit more lopsided than perhaps you might anticipate. Still, we got plenty of storylines to talk about on the women's side. I think the men's match is a little bit more self-explanatory. Certainly, Sasha Zverev taking on 19th seeded Cam Norrie. Those are two top 20 seeds. They're doing battle in the round of 16. Who isn't in on that? I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, he's just must-watch, period. He's got Amir Kasmenovic, who's fought off match points in his last two matches. Now, how much gas will he have left in the tank? We'll talk about that today. But, 
Again, you've got Alcaraz on the other side of the net, so it makes it must-watch. Hubi Hercots quietly continuing the form we've seen from him really since the start of Wimbledon last season. He's taken on maybe the storyline of the men's draw through week number one. Arthur Cazzo, the 21-year-old Frenchman, not only is he in the first uh, second week of a major in his career, he's yet to lose in 2024. Challenger title week number one, now first round four appearance. He didn't drop a set in round three against Greek Spoor. You probably haven't watched the 21-year-old play yet. He's taken on a top 10 seed in Hubi Hercot. So now's the time, folks. And then obviously this one's a little personal. Nuno Borges has appeared on our Cracked Interviews podcast multiple times in his career. I've known him since his college days back in Mississippi State, uh, at Mississippi State 2016, 17, 18, 19. That's my guy. And to see him have this sort of success, just the second Portuguese man or woman to ever reach the round of 16 at a major, we're celebrating for him no matter what. It's a feel-good story and every tennis fan can feel encouraged about. That said... He's running into the buzzsaw. He's running into world, uh, excuse me, world number three and third seeded Daniil Medvedev. And I've got a very concerning stat as it relates to Nuno Borges' chances uh, from the Medvedev side of things, who obviously steadied the ship with a seventh consecutive win in seven meetings against Felix Ogier Aliasim. Anyways, those are all the characters. Those are some storylines just to get you intrigued. What I want to do through the rest of this podcast, of course, is catch you up on, or excuse me, not catch you up. That's what we do on the Mini Break podcast feed. What I want to do here is preview all the action for all of you listeners. I think these preview podcasts are going to stop after the quarterfinal round, so only two more days of them. Now, we'll still have fantastic Great Shot podcast content for you, whether it's Damian Coost covering the challenger level, myself, John Parsons, Chris Halioris covering all things college tennis, and then, yes, some pro conversations on here throughout the year as well. Stay subscribed to the Great Shot podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the Mini Break podcast feed if you do want more pro-centric tennis coverage in your lives. And as always, subscribe to our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel where Mini Break podcast episodes are now available. Also, last time I'm going to plug it, although I guess I, it's not the last time I'm going to plug it because not just this weekend, but the next two weekends, this Sunday, Friday through Monday next week, you will be able to find our coverage on ESPN Plus of the 2024 College Tennis World. We've got a top 15 battle on Sunday, 1 p.m. Eastern time here in the United States. Oklahoma State, number five in the country, fresh off a win over number four, Michigan. They're taking on 14th ranked Ohio State. That match in Stillwater, Oklahoma. It's going to be a doozy. Tune in 1 p.m. Eastern time. Same platform as the Australian Open. So any of you watching that, you ain't got no excuse, of course. Then next weekend, we're going to have everyone. It's the ITA kickoff weekend, and you name a top 16 school. If they're in the SEC, they're in the ACC, they are in the Pac-12, they are most likely going to be on our ESPN Plus ITA kickoff weekend broadcast. So keep that subscription for a little longer. Know that we've got a lot of fun college tennis coverage coming, not just this month, not just these next two weekends, but every weekend moving forward up until the end of the season in May. Again, a lot of it going to be on ESPN+, Plus. a lot of it going to be on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel as well. So like, rate, subscribe, review, make sure you check it out, share with your friends. Enough with the plugs. Let's get back to talking day nine at this 2024 Australian Open. I want to start with the women's matches. 
I'm going to rank them by my order of interest, and I think the clear-cut number one has to be Svitolina versus Linda Nuskova. Again, Svitolina, the 19th seed, pretty straightforward pathway. Two and two over Tyla Preston. One and three over Victoria Tomova. Two and three over Victoria Golovic. She's yet to face a top 40 player on her way to this week two at the Australian Open. Now, I mentioned her hot start to the season. She makes the final in Auckland in week one. Four wins, including wins over Wozniacki, Radakan. Marie Boshkova and the big hitting lefty Wang Shiyu before she takes the first set before ultimately falling 6-7-6-3-6-3 to Svitolina. So between those two events, sample size of players she's played, I certainly think Radakanu Wozniacki right now are playing top 50 level. I think Golubic is right now as well. That 7-1 and one is a real... Not big sample size, but a significant, like a, a sample size worth noting, and that's why it's worth noting right now. She's holding serve seventy two point seven percent of the time. That's three point seven percent above her career average. Here's the big number: she's breaking serve forty eight point two percent of the time. Not only is that seven point seven percent better than her career average, not only is that nearly fifty percent. Again, breaking her opponent's serve pretty much every other surface game in the eight matches that she's played this year, or nine, whatever that number is. Uh, eight matches. That's the correct. No, nine, three, at the Australian Open, all wins. Five in Auckland, four wins, one loss. Anyways, good math there, Alex. Seven and one. Eight matches that she's played. Um, yeah, eight matches that she's played. This is going to be the ninth. Anyway, sorry, leave that all math. Sometimes it's tricky when you've been watching as much tennis and doing the hours we've been doing. No excuses. That's why you leave it in the podcast so that you all hear me struggle. Anyways, 48.2% would rank third right now amongst top 100 WTA players. She would trail... Sviantek, Serenko, that's it. And that speaks to just how good Svitolina has been since returning to the tour from maternity leave. She's 28-13 and 13 overall. She's won over two-thirds of her matches. Thus, she continues to skyrocket. Back up the WTA rankings. Now, you look for Svitolina. She's playing in what will be her 16th career round of 16 at the majors. Perhaps most notably, she's made the majors in uh, round of 16 and week number two at the majors in three of the last four majors played. And remember, she's only been back from maternity leave for four majors. She's made week two in three of the four that she's played. She's back to that top 16, top eight sort of level that obviously she played prior, uh, that she was routinely at prior to having her first child. And that's a testament to the sort of athlete she is, the work athlete uh, ethic she possesses. I also think that hold percentage and it being at a career high, that speaks to what you see with the eye test, which is a renewed power, a freedom to swing maybe a little bit more freely than she would early in her career when she was just so confident that she could out physical opponents. And that would be the thing she would rely on to get her over the finish line. No, now she's swinging freely down the line, slice, excuse me, drop shots. Moving forward, serving volley at times. She's holding the baseline so well with her return positioning. Again, she's moving as well as she ever has. 29-year-old is playing the best tennis. I mean, I would argue the best tennis of her career, and thus it's no shock to see she has ascended back up the rankings to the number 19 spot. Now, it is worth noting in her career against top 50 players over 5'10", and why is that the stat I'm presenting to all of you? Well, Linda Noskova, her 19-year-old opponent, Fresh off a win over Iga Sviantek. They've never played before. Linda Noskova clearly plays 
dare I say, Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club Power Tennis. She plays front foot tennis. She's going to try and hold the baseline, take the ball on the rise, beat you to the spot, be the aggressor, dictate on her terms. Who else does that? Well, top 50 players over 5 foot 10. Typically, if you're that tall and in the top 50, it means you've got some serious weapons in her career against those sorts of players on hard courts. Svitolina, 39 and 43 overall. Over her last 52 weeks, 2 and 1 but a win over Boshkova, who's tall enough to qualify for this category, but shouldn't be in here for what I'm looking for. Uh, the wins over or the win over Victoria Azarenka, more the ilk of player, the cut of cloth I'm looking for from a game style perspective. Svitolina beat her in DC in straights, lost to Danielle Collins in Montreal in the subsequent week. I mean, again, Svitolina in her career at the majors, 40-10 and 10 against opponents younger than her, and those 10 losses are typically to players who are doing special things at a major. Von Drosova last year at Wimbledon, she went on to win it. Sabalenka, Roland Garros, no shame in that. Fernandez, 2021 U.S. Open. Fernandez made the final. Krejcikova, 2021 Roland Garros. Krejcikova went on to win the event. Podoroska, 2020 Roland Garros. Podoroska, semifinalist at this event. You know, Osaka 2019 Australian Open, I believe Osaka won that event. If you are a young player and you beat Alina Svitolina in a major, typically you go on to make a quarterfinal as Naskova would or even a semifinal, a final, dare I say, a run to the title. We've seen it. So it's an excellent litmus test for Naskova's level. But if she is not at her best, if there is any sort of I just beat the world number one hangover, Svitolina is going to beat her. She's too relentless. She's moving too well. She's too confident behind her first serve, thus swinging that freely. And if all else fails, she'll be able to absorb the first blow of Naskova. Keep that ball a little lower on her than Sviantek did as well. Although I do worry about that loopy Svitolina forehand, which, again, at times the topspin works really well for her. But when she's struggling, she leaves that ball short. Anything short is death against Naskova. Now she inside the baseline. She's taking it shoulder height. She's driving the ball every which way. Again, Svitolina, though, thrives at finding those outer thirds in neutral rallies. She'll play flat down the court and wait for you to open up the angle for her to get you yanked out wide. And the way she will get Naskova yanked will expose, as we saw when Sviantek was able to do it in similar fashion, that Naskova's still not the best, moving in and out of the corners Again, the pathway for Alina Svitolina in this first career head-to-head is pretty clear. Make this match a track meet. Change up your plus-one locations, not just always to the open space, but I think slice-wide on the deuce. Not a serve she hits that frequently, but she's comfortable hitting slice-wide on the deuce. First stroke, uh, first strike to the open space, that's going to work a lot. I think hitting behind Naskova and forcing her to hit her forehand from behind, that's where she struggles a little bit more. Now, she's pretty good on the backhand wing, and that's why serving out wide to that wing, sometimes a little bit of a difficulty. But, you know, Svitolina wants to go slice T on that ad side. First ball actually into that backhand wing to force Naskova to hit the on-the-run forehand, which is, I think, the ball that sprays on her the most. The patterns are very much there for Alina Svitolina to have success. I mean, for God's sake, she's won over two-thirds of her matches since returning from maternity leave. The numbers and results speak for themselves. Here's the thing. Again, Naskova's on a special run. 
Five and thirteen now in her career against top twenty opponents. Uh, you want to expand that to her record against top fifty opponents overall. She's actually now fourteen and fourteen overall after wins over Boshkova and Sviantek at this event. That's really impressive for a nineteen-year-old to play top fifty opponents five hundred. It just proves you are a top fifty player. You belong in that category, particularly given the fact now that Naskova's won three of her last four and five of her last nine overall. I mean, again, the weapons, that's what keeps her in the ballgame. Nuskova right now ranking 13th amongst top 100 players in hold percentage. She's riding, obviously, a wave of confidence, having beaten Triantec, and you feel like at this point now everything is even gravy or the cherry on top that much more. 19-year-olds can afford to swing freely, and even if her legs aren't fresh, and she's played a lot of tennis this month in Australia, obviously, not just this run to the fourth round in Australia, but... Her first week of the season wins over Kirstea and Driva and others on her way to the semifinals in Brisbane. She's going to leave Australia at a career high. She's sitting right now at 35 in the live rankings. Again, Naskova 7-1 this season. She's holding serve over 82.4% of the time to start the year. That would rank number one amongst top 100 players if sustained throughout the course of the season. Now, the break percentage has been a little bit streakier, but you can afford to break serve only 25% of the time when you're holding 80% of it because, again, you're holding serve. Four out of every five, you're breaking serve. One out of every four. It's a good ratio to go your way. It means you're on the scoreboard a lot, as her 8-1 record would indicate. Anyways, she's got weapons to hit Svitolina off the baseline, to make Svitolina uncomfortable. And again, when that forehand hangs, Svitolina's not always going to get away with making this match a track meet because Naskova won't let her. If the ball is left short, Naskova doesn't hesitate. She takes that ball early. She will take her opportunities when they present themselves. And if her legs are a little bit dead, she'll do it that much more so. I mentioned her record against top uh, 10, uh, top 20 and 15 opponents, etc. a little bit earlier it's fascinating after this win over Sviantek, Naskova, a 55% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract, to win the match. Here's the thing, and it's just worth noting. Obviously, I mentioned this, Alina Svitolina's made round uh, week number two in three of her last four majors. She has never made a Grand Slam final before. This might be the best window she has ever had. Yeah, Vika's playing well, looming as a potential next opponent. Yeah, Chin Wen has been extraordinary over the last five, six months, really since the end of Wimbledon as well. But Svitolina can make a claim, again, her results and her level, even if the pathway's been really easy, has been as high as any of those players. And so this is a litmus test for Svitolina. Take advantage of, again, perhaps the... uh, blurry-eyed or whatever the expression is, post-hangover win, Linda Naskova, go get this victory over the younger player. I'm going to take her to do so in like a 7-5-6-1 tight first set. Svinolina pulls away in the second fashion, but this is my most fascinating match of the day of any we have on the board, and thus I wanted to spend the longest time talking about it because, again, there's a world where what does a Naskova win look like? Well, exactly like it did against Sviantek, but maybe a little bit less difficult because Svitolina's aren't, uh, weapons aren't as pronounced, and dare I say Svitolina, not quite as quick, even if she is extraordinarily fast. I don't think she's Sviantek fast. We just saw Naskova's weapons disrupt the rhythm of the world number one. If she can capture that level in a bottle and drink that bottle and play it out again in this match. Absolutely, she has a pathway to victory. Tennis Abstract wouldn't say so if she didn't otherwise. I'll take Svitolina 5-2 and two 
to advance to the quarterfinals. And again, I think this is her best chance maybe in her career. So fascinating when that happens to you. But I think this is the best chance of her career to advance to a final at a major. I will say, though, Azarenka is playing really well. Obviously, fresh off of a straight set 1-5 victory over Yelena Ostapenko, where she overcame a 4-1 second set deficit. Azarenka has to be thrilled. I mean, as I alluded to earlier, she's into her 30th round of 16 at the majors in her career quarterfinalist last year as well. So defending the majority of her points, Azarenka right now sitting at 30 in the live rankings. But if she gets this win, she'll be back up to number 26. And again, fairly steady coming out of this first month of the year. I mean, look, again, the case for Victoria Azarenka is the numbers lover. She's one of seven players to rank top 20 right now in both hold and break percentage, despite the fact that the record 22-17 and 17 over her last 52 weeks, not particularly impressive. For what it's worth, again, she is playing a t- power tennis player. Someone she has faced before in Diana Yastrzemska, Azarenka 2-1 in the career head-to-head. Yastrzemska 5-5 five five win, Toronto 2019. Azarenka wins over Yastrzemska 2022 in Washington last season. End of the year, a 4-6 win in Guadalajara. Again, you could argue both of these players, power tennis-centric players, front foot-centric players, Azarenka more precise in her targets, Yastrzemska is certainly a little bit maybe more explosive at this point, but also far more volatile. You look for Azarenka. I'm going to say she's played about this level of, look, when she's good, she's excellent, but sometimes health issues bang up or, again, every so often there's just a rough day at the office, which happens more when you're 34 than it does when you're 24. Since the start of 2022, Victoria Azarenka 8-8 eight and eight against top 50 opponents who are over five foot ten. I feel like that's a good approximation for what you, again, those opponents are all Krechikovas of the world, Keyses of the world, Anisimovas, Vekic's, Rabakinas of the world, power tennis-centric players who want to take that ball early, assert themselves. Hell, I know she's not over 5'10", but add two more wins to that list given Azarenka's victories over Ostapenko here to start 2024. You put that record at 10-8. and eight. I mean, even you look at the tennis abstract number, She's 75.5% favorite against her opponent, 23-year-old Diana Yastrzemska. This is a massive moment for the 23-year-old who, with this result, now up 31 spots, back up to number 62 in the live rankings. She's just back in the fight. Goes from having to play qualifying to in-domain draws of 250-level events. At the worst, playing qualifying at the 1,000-level events, maybe even sneaking in on her own ranking as well. And again, she's into her first, second week at a major since the 2019 season. It's been four and a half years. Yastrzemska now with her three top 50 wins this week. She's 6-7 and seven against the top 50 over her last 52. That's far much more like the player we saw prior to her uh, suspension from the tour. Now, in her career on hard courts against... Again, power tennis centric players. I have these top 50 players over 5 foot 10, 14 and 19 in her career on hard courts in those sorts of matches. Again, losses to players like Vika, like Keys, like Krechikova, Osaka, Muguruza, etc. I mean, she plays most of them closely because she has weapons to match them. It's the consistency when you have some weapon. I mean, you have to have weapons. We saw in the Emma Navarro match, Navarro was just on her back foot. She hit just nine winners in that match. And even though she won a set because it was an error-prone second set for Yastrzemska, as will happen with her volatility, that match was on Yastrzemska's terms. Why Azarenka has had success, obviously, against Yastrzemska in the past is she has had both the weapons and the discipline 
to not only outlast Yastrzemska, but provide some pace and prevent Yastrzemska from having everything on her terms. Yastrzemska is moving so well right now. She is playing so freely right now. She is back in the sense that she is back in being in that top 50 conversation and just will be a part of tour-level events moving forward, not at the ITF level or playing qualifying. But again, her weapon. Wins over Vondrosova and Navarro in the same event is a really impressive run for Yastrzemska to get here. I'm going to say this is where the run ends. I'm going to take Azarenka to knock out Yastrzemska. Can Yastrzemska get hot and steal a set? She could, but I'm going to say she goes up like a quick three love after losing the first set 6-3. Azarenka closing things out three and five in the end in what is a tightly contested straight set match. Next two, going to spend a little bit less time on, but again, it's worth noting Jasmine Paulini taking on Alan, uh, uh, excuse me, Anna Kalinskaya, both in their first career round of 16 at the majors. Both have been excellent over the course of the last six months. You start with Paulini, who of course is sitting at a new career high in the live rankings, 24 in the rankings for the 28-year-old since uh, the start for, uh, excuse me, since the start of May 15th for Paulini. 39 and 19 overall. She's winning over two thirds of her matches. She's five and seven versus top 20 opponents during that stretch. Hasn't faced a top 20 opponent thus far at this Australian Open, but five and seven is pretty solid. Again, for someone knocking on the door of the top 20 at 24 in the live rankings. And, you know, again, more broadly, that 39 and 19 number. Four different quarterfinals for her at the tour level. A bunch of 125K level success that include titles as well. She's found her groove with her serve, her forehand, physically just stronger, faster than she used to be early in her career, even when those weapons were there. She's got the weapons advantage. Kalinskaya is the more well-rounded player. And Anna Kalinskaya, since October 23rd, 16-3 16-3 and three overall during that stretch of time. Now, some of it was at the 125K level. She's just 3-2 and two against top 50 opponents, and two of those top 50 wins came in victories over Aronx Roos, Sloane Stevens on her way to this week number two. Still has all the confidence in the world, is one spot off her career high ranking, 52, and has a real shot at a quarterfinal. And again, she can do more things than Paulini can do Yes, she's coming off of the tougher match, that three-setter, a two-hour, 45-minute match where she fought off two, 12 out of 13 break points against Stevens. External factors say Paulini, more tour-level success of late, better rested entering this matchup. If they both play their best, Kalinskaya will win. Paulini is going to sneak it out in three sets. Kalinskaya is going to run out of gas in the end. Give me Jasmine Paulini to prevail. And then last but not least, oh, and by the way, Kalinskaya is the favorite, 53.1% according to Tennis Abstract. Last but not least, Jung Chin Wen, who's an 89.9% favorite. Here's why. You look for Chin Wen, uh, who for what it's worth is not only 2-1 in her career head-to-head against Ocean Doden. Since the end of Wimbledon, Jung Chin Wen, not only... 25 and 7 overall, a 78% win percentage. Jung Chin Wen, 20 and 0 since the end of Wimbledon. 20 and 0 against opponents ranked outside the top 20. You want to look her career uh, against, uh, I mean, again, I know it's only her second career round of 16. I get that. 20 and 0 since the end of Wimbledon against opponents ranked outside the top 20. Yes, some of them have been three-set battles when she has her streaks of errors, and certainly the Doden backhand can 
draw those sorts of errors, though Dan, who I think is really going to enjoy the heavy topspin Chin Wen provides her when she tries to hit the inside-out forehand heavy instead of trying to drive through it and finish points, which she does so effectively, but is sometimes where the errors come. Doden in her career, again, versus uh, Chin Wen, 20-0 against opponents ranked outside the top 20 since the end of Wimbledon. Doden, 1-9 in her career on hard courts against top 20 opponents, 5-22 overall regardless of surface against top 20 opponents in her career. So, excuse me, 2-18 against top 20 opponents regardless of surface in her career. And her last win came against Joe Conta. You'd have to go all the way back. St. Petersburg, February of 2020, the other time over uh, Dominika Sipokova, Madrid, 2017. So Chin Wen's the favorite. Her weapons are going to overwhelm. Give me Chin Wen to advance to uh, the quarterfinals for the second consecutive major and the first time in Australia. And by the way, Chin Wen Paulini... Azarenka's Fidelina, it's not top 10 seeds. It's certainly fascinating. So plenty to get excited about as we look at the women's singles schedule on day number nine. On the men's side, I like the matchups as well. Let's start with my favorite, Zverev versus Nori. Now, Nori does have a win over Zverev. It came back at the 2013 Canada Futures F6 event, August of 2013. Sasha Zverev at that time, 16 years old. Nori, a 7-6-6-3 victory. Zverev's won their five tour-level encounters, including his most recent at the end of last season. Excuse me, in Vienna, Zverev, a 6-2-6-4 win. Zverev playing in his 17th, second week at a major in his career. Career. 10 and 6 against the lefties at the majors in his career, but two of those losses to Rafa, so we'll call him 10 and 4 overall against left handed opponents. Faced a lefty earlier in this event against Dominic Kopfer. For what it's worth, in tour level matches against left handed opponents, Sasha Zverev 57 and 17 overall against lefties. You want to filter it to top 50 lefties alone? Fine. He's 27 and 14 against tour-level lefties, and one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of those losses uh, coming to Rafael Nadal. So he's, and I don't know how many wins there are, so I guess I can't do that, but we'll say he's something like 20 and seven, or 21 and seven, maybe 22 and seven even against lefties not named Rafa, who are top 50 level in ATP tour matches in his career. Let's filter out the hard courts because maybe then we'll filter out some Rafa little results. Let's see. He's lost to Rafa twice on hard courts. He's beaten Rafa twice. So he's 15-4 and four on hard courts against ATP 2 or top 50 lefties in his career. Makes sense. When you have that lefty, uh, with that backhand kind of neutralize the slice out wide serve, certainly on the ad side that Nori loves to hit or even that heavy lefty forehand cross. It's not going to overwhelm the Zverev backhand. He'll love the top spin, allow him to drive through it that much more thoroughly. Also, he can always catch a creeping with a backhand down the line. Cam Nori, uh, uh, or excuse me, Cam Nori is not a top 20 player. That's what I was trying to say, but he's playing a top 20 level right now. Certainly you saw that in his four set win over Kasper Rude. Sasha Zverev obviously notably has struggled with higher ranked players in his career. Two and 14 against the top 10 Eight and eighteen against the top twenty, so I guess six and four against opponents ranked eleven through twenty in his career in the majors, and I do think that's the bracket you would put Cam Norrie's level in right now. 
On the flip side for Cam Nori, not only, again, the 0-5 record in their tour-level encounters, you look for Nori, who is participating in his third career second week at a major. Nori 2-10 against the top 20 at the uh, majors in his career 25 and 50, excuse me, against top 20 opponents overall, 20 and 33 when those matchups have happened on hard courts. It's the lefty part of things. Just the Zvira backhand matches so well with all of the patterns Nori wants to hit. Nori doesn't really have the pace or doesn't really generate the sort of pace that will pressure the Zvira forehand and draw easy errors off of him. Now, here's the flip side against Casper Ruud. Cam Nori employed a, a far more aggressive, I'm getting to the net because I saw this tactic work on you the round prior sort of game plan that obviously paid dividends as he not only hit 60 plus winners against, I think, like 40, 41 unforced errors, but you know, obviously he won the match in four sets. I think that game plan could have similar success, not, not, not the same degree, but some success certainly against Sasha Zverev who I don't think passes a little bit better than Cam Nori, uh, than Casper Ruud, excuse me, certainly on the backhand wing, which Nori was so successful in attacking uh, on Ruud throughout the course. But maybe Nori changes their targets and hits f- approaches to the forehand the way he did so relentlessly to that Ruud backhand. Anyways, there are tactics that I saw Nori pull off in his last match that actually have me encouraged. Now, the Tennis Abstract singles forecast has Sasha Zverev as an 80.2% favorite. Yeah, I think Zverev advances. I'll take him in a tightly contested three-set match, but three sets. I do, of course, Nori can win a set. He could even push this to five. Hell, he could even win the match. I'm going to take Zverev in a tightly contested three-setter. I'm going to take Alcaraz to win in a not-so-tightly contested three-setter. Alcaraz, 1-0 in the career had-to-had with Kesmenovic. That was actually a 6-7-6-3-7-6 win, though it happened all the way back at the 2022 Miami Masters. And I get to say all the way back in the case of Alcaraz because Carlos Alcaraz was 18 when that match happened, and a lot has changed for the 20-year-old in the years since. Uh, you look for Carlos Alcaraz now playing in his eighth career round of 16 at the mass, uh, at the major events. Since the start of 2022, this is a, dare I say, Chin-Wen type stat, but even more so because it's a two-year sample size. Since the start of 2022, Carlos Alcaraz, 34-3 and three against opponents ranked outside the top 20 in hardcourt matches. His three losses, Safulin in Paris last year, Gofen in Astana 2022, Tommy Paul, Canada 2022 as well. That's it. 34-3 and three in every other match. He's holding serve 88.5% of the time in those matches, breaking serve 34.7% of the time. If you don't have an elite weapon or you aren't named Novak Djokovic slash Daniil Medvedev, you're just not beating Carlos Alcaraz. Like, he's proven that uh, very consistently over the course of the past two years. And look, again, if the Kessman wasn't coming off of back-to-back five-set wins, Miomir Kessmanovic, the 24-year-old who's in his second career, second week at a major, both of them in Australia, massive win for uh, week for him as he's back inside the top 50 now, sitting snug at 41 as we approach the sunshine swing. And 500-level event in Rotterdam, etc. He can play what he wants to play. Acapulco feels like more his speed. He's 4-9 against the top 10 in his career, for what it's worth. Uh, 8-26 against the top 20 on hard courts. Again, he's fought off match points in each of his last two matches. Two five-set victories against Struff, Tommy Paul. You need the freshest legs possible 
taking on Carlos Alcaraz or an elite weapon to at least take the racket out of his hand. And I just don't think the Kess man has the ability to do either of those things. Alcaraz, a 93.2% favorite, according to Tennis Abstract. I expect him to cruise as well. Third on my list, and honestly, maybe the most fascinating from a tennis standpoint, just because, again, Zverev with his backhand against lefties, I feel like I can see that script play out. The one I'm least certain about is Hubi Hercots versus 21-year-old Arthur Cazot. Now, 19 year, uh, now the number nine seed, Hubi Hercots, 26 years old, into his fifth career round of 16 at the majors. He has been exceptional since right around the start of Wimbledon, 29-11 and 11 overall since that event began. And by the way, it's not just you know success against opponents ranked outside the top 20 where he's 24-4, and four, by the way. No, he's 5-7 and seven against top 20 guys, wins over Tsitsipas, Rublev, Chorich, Musetti uh, during this stretch of time. Okay, that's not the greatest list, but also wins over Korda and Struve. And Kesmenovic, who that's a win. I, I suppose that's aged well. Anyways, 29-11, he's beaten who he's supposed to beat in on paper. Certainly, he is supposed to beat Arthur Cazzo, who be Hercots right now, top five in hold percentage on the ATP Tour. And certainly, you look at Hercots to start this 2024 season, even with the matches in United Cup that he lost. Hercots holding 92.7% of the time. I mean, that's John Isner-like. Again, Nick Kyrgios-like. When you're over that 90% threshold, you are the elite of the elite when it comes to holding serve on the ATP Tour. Now, it's only been nine matches, but still, four-set win over Ugo Umber was only broken twice in that match. He's only been broken four total times through 12 sets of tennis uh, at this Australian Open thus far. His serve, his forehand, is a different caliber degree of weapon than Arthur Cazot has ever faced. Even in wins over Runa, Greek sport, just to get to this third round, you know, they aren't as relentlessly and consistently aggressive behind that serve as Hubi Hercots is. You know, not they. I guess Ruholga Runa impatiently pushed forward throughout the course of his match. Hercots going to be far more efficient in his working his way forward as an opponent. I mean, again, every statistic, every benchmark Hubi Her- uh, would point to Hubi Hercots winning this match. But again, Arthur Cazot, 8-0 through his eight 2024 matches. Now, yes, five of them were at the challenger level. But did you hear that level of competition? He beat Greek Spore and dropped just seven games. He beat Runa in four sets. Oh, and by the way, he beat a top 50 guy in Laszlo Gera, a tough physical out in five sets in round number one. I mean, again, you look for Mayad, he is holding serve even better, 93.7. 93.7% of the time so far this season. He didn't face a break point against Greek Sport. He's been broken just once at this 2024. Excuse me. He's been broken just three times at this 2024 Australian Open. 21-year-old is also some sort of athlete, and obviously he's at a new career high, 83, as a result uh, of this run, but... I mean, again, whether it was the serve, double-digit aces against Greek Spore, the plus-one forehand, the springiness in the outer third, his ability to absorb or redirect your pace. Again, will he have as many easy opportunities to generate that sort of pace, be that sort of aggressor against Hercots? I do think the positions of the court are going to be more difficult than he found himself, even in his two magnificent round two and round three wins. 
able to swing a little bit more freely against a, a more defensive player in Lazo Jera on this surface. Although, again, Jera's speed can beat you to the spot so well. Kazo has proven more than capable of passing that physical test. Kazo can do more things. The things Hubie does well, he he does better. Obviously, I know a little bit less about the 21-year-old Arthur Cazot's game. I haven't been locked into him maybe the way I should have been in his ATP Challenger matches. He's playing so freely. He's playing loose. He is athletic enough to deal with Hercots' weapons. I'm going to take the more experienced Hercots, but Cazot's going to take a set. So I'll take Hubie in four. But that's going to be a really fun match. And then last but not least, again, a storyline everyone can get excited about. I listed it for you. Nuno Borges, the second Portuguese male or female to reach the round of 16 in singles at a major event. He's into the top 50 of the live rankings, sitting at number 47, a new career high for the first time. I mean, again, he's 1-5 in, in his career against the top 20, and that one win came against Grigor Dimitrov. In the prior round, you look for him against top 50 opponents. 5-15 overall. His win over Lajevic came on clay. And then wins over Schwartzman, Ramos on hard courts each in the past 17 months. Not particularly impressive. But again, this tournament, he has been particularly impressive. Beat not just Grigor Dimitrov in four sets fighting off 11 of 12 points. He beat Alejandro Davidovich Fokina in straight sets fighting off 7 of 9 points. His serve, his forehand are real. He's always been gifted with that ability that, you dare I say, not unique because others have it, but that special racket talent where the kick serve and the, the pop and the spin he's able to generate. And then again, how he drives through the forehand, how he guides the backhand, the slice, his hands. Is he the best mover? No, he will never be the fastest guy. That is not his gift. It's in the Fritz model of he is a brilliant ball striker, he is gutsy and knows exactly what he wants to do, confident with his swings. I actually think Taylor Fritz might be, a, you know, again, a lesser, a less physically imposing version of Taylor Fritz, far less dynamic on the backhand wing as well. But I said lesser version of Taylor Fritz. That guy exists in Nuno Borges. I don't think that's a horrible comparison. The problem is he's running into the buzzsaw, Daniil Medvedev. And here's your Chinwen stat for you. Since the start of February last year, where Daniil Medvedev is 47-10 and 10 overall on hard courts, he's 23-1 and 1 against opponents ranked outside the top 20, and his only loss was to Sebi Korda, who we know at his best is very much a top 20 player. It's too much athleticism, the pace, the speed, the rally tolerance, all these things. I, I Again, you could have said that about Grigor Dimitrov and to some extent, every time Grigor Dimitrov hit a slice, it was a win for Nuno because it just gave him time to make contact with the ball with his feet set. Nuno's going to have no problem being recklessly aggressive. If he's not, he's going to lose this match. He's not going to win the track meet. Medvedev's winning this match. He's a 95.8% uh, favorite to do so. I think he's going to win it in straights as well. But again, all the credit in the world to Nuno Borges, who has had himself one heck of a 2024 Australian Open. That said, that's your look at day number nine, our second day of round four play at this year's opening major. Of course, a shout out and thank you as always to our super producer, Daniel Westa, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Not just these previews, recaps available on the mini break podcast feed and college tennis broadcasts available on both ESPN Plus and our YouTube channel all the way through until the end of May. With that said, though, for now, for the fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff and all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. We hope all of you enjoy day nine of the 2024 Australian Open. But for now, you know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow.
Thanks, everyone.